This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome in. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 593. Hope you're doing great. Today, we're going to talk about Monday Night Football. We're going to talk about Philly and Washington. Uh, I'm going to share some thoughts and play some clips from Zach Wilson in a post-game press conference. We're going to answer some Patreon questions. Uh, I guarantee, I never, no, I don't want to guarantee. Uh, it's become a running joke that when I say it's going to be a short episode, it never is. I cannot imagine this being a long episode. I, I, I I'm, think we're going to go for like 30 minutes today. I don't have a lot to say. I talked mostly about NFL Week 4 uh, on the Monday episode. This one's going to be short. I'm cleaning up the rest of the week, kind of the stuff I haven't got to yet. Also, I'm working on a lot of projects, which I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I don't want to hype it up. Uh, I am working hard to finish some stuff, and it's going to be really good, I think, at the end of the week. But uh, I don't want to overpromise anything. So um, I'm excited, and part of the time I've been spending has been on other stuff that's coming later in the week. Um, I'm really excited for today's show. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. And this week in general, man... I get to kind of stretch my legs as a creator, and I think it's going to be awesome. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, um, my hair is different today. I got really sick of it being in my face. As I'm looking at it on the monitor, I don't know if I like it. I feel like I'm showing a little too much forehead. <laughs> like, just being honest, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a great look. I just was getting really sick of my hair in my face and uh, wanted to try like a like a center part, putting it back. I, I don't. I don't love it, and we're, I'm going to experiment and figure it out, but, eh, you know, yeah, too much for, I could call this episode, Strong Men in Sports, episode 593, too much forehead, and, and that'd be fun to me. Uh, now, we got to pay the bills, but again, we're not paying the bills anymore, we are paying, remember, it's a play on words there, so instead of paying the bills, let's play the Giants, because they desperately need it, uh, they got a lot of money, they got to pay Daniel Jones, their quarterback, so let's pay... The Giants today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. All right, we are back. Let's jump in. On Monday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks beat the New York Giants 24-3. And for the Giants, it was an abysmal game. They are now 1-3, three three horrible losses. They lost 40 to nothing to Dallas. They lost to the 49ers 30-12. And now here at home against Seattle, they've lost 24-3. Um, the Jets are also one and three. So the Jets are one and three. The Giants are one and three. I can say definitively, even after the Aaron Rodgers injury, I would way, way, way rather be a New York Jets fan today, four games into the year, than a New York Giants fan. The Jets at least have hope. Zach Wilson played really well last week, and they've got a good defense. They got some good young players. I am. I'm really struggling to find redeeming qualities with the New York Giants. I just feel bad for their fan base. Now, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones on Monday Night Football 
had a really, really tough day. He had three turnovers, two interceptions, and a fumble. Uh, he had this horrible interception on the goal line that was taken for a pick six, 97 yards by Devin Witherspoon. It was a terrible decision. He had a, a corner route kind of developing to Darren Waller. There was no pressure. Unprompted, he decided to get rid of the ball early to someone who wasn't open. And I, based on the reaction from his head coach, Brian Dable, wasn't really part of the plan. I don't think, I think that was just, I mean, Brian Dable was hot. It's very rare you see a head coach um, with a quarterback who's got a giant contract that they normally have gotten along with pretty well and done a good job with get that hot and that frustrated with the guy. Um, it was it was all bad, man. So he had an interception, pick six on the goal line. He had a fumble that Seattle recovered. And after that fumble, they started first and goal inside the eight-yard line. So Daniel Jones basically handed uh, Seattle a bunch of points. In fact, all three turnovers by Daniel Jones led to points for Seattle. Two touchdowns and a field goal. So 17 of the 24 points scored by Seattle were off of Daniel Jones' turnovers. And then, actually, the other touchdown they had was a drive with Seattle's backup quarterback, Drew Locke, leading the way. Interesting to me, like, Geno Smith technically didn't, I mean, he was given some golden opportunities and and really didn't put together a long touchdown drive in this football game. On the day, Daniel Jones was 27 for 34 passing, had 203 yards uh, through the air. He also ran for 66 yards. He was the Giants' leading rusher, um, which is never great for a, a football team. When when you're a quarterback, you're running the ball so poorly, unless it's, I mean, I guess there are days where Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields has an incredible day, a bunch of big runs. I, I It's fine with me. But part of why Daniel Jones was a leading rusher for 66 yards in this game, yeah, he is pretty good with those legs. He was running around, but there wasn't a lot happening with the Giants' offensive line. They couldn't run the ball anyway. Um Yes, Daniel Jones had three awful turnovers in this football game. But the Giants' offensive line is uh, a disaster. Daniel Jones got sacked 10 times by Seattle. And if you're a Giants fan, I I just... I'm not even... I don't even want to speak to Giants fans. I really want to get in the locker room and think of the team. If I'm a Giants offensive lineman, I would be utterly embarrassed of this performance. Uh, It didn't help that they didn't have their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, playing in this football game. But also, you can't make excuses. I mean, Seattle was missing four of their five offensive linemen and, you know, starting offensive linemen. Oh, and by the way, Seattle's normal center was out of position playing at left guard because their backup, uh, Olu, stepped up to play center instead. So basically, all five of the offensive linemen for Seattle were in a different position than normal, and four of them were straight up backups. And somehow, the Giants' offensive line was significantly worse than what Seattle put in the field. Um, that's embarrassing. And I would imagine today, I I try to not follow the sports media. I like look at Instagram to see what ESPN's saying. Uh, I don't listen to any shows. I don't pay attention to TV. There's a lot going on in my head anyway. I don't want to be distracted and pulled apart by other stuff. But I, I would imagine that people are probably attacking Daniel Jones and criticizing him. The pick six was legitimately bad. The fumble, three turnovers. I mean, it's not a great day. And Daniel Jones is getting paid a ton of money. I understand people that are probably being... If people are attacking Daniel Jones, I understand that. But I don't know how you're supposed to grow and develop and improve as a quarterback with an offensive line that's so bad it's barely functional. I mean, again, the Giants' offense can barely function. That's the word. They can't make anything happen with an offensive line this bad. 
constantly when Daniel Jones drops back to pass, he has no chance. And uh, I mean, there was a sack from Devin Witherspoon. I thought he could have done a better job after catching the, the snap. You got to be really quick and alert to see who post-snap is blitzing a quarterback. I know there's a lot going on. It's Quarterback's an insane position. People have no idea how much is going on pre-snap and post-snap. Within like a split second, you have to be where are the safeties? Is anyone blitzing? Where's my hot route before the snap? If that guy blitzes, I have to have a plan where to go with the ball. If they do blitz, if we're overloaded. Um, there's a lot of insane stuff going on pre-snap and in a couple seconds post-snap for an NFL quarterback. It's it's an insane overload of things to process. Daniel Jones could have been better on a sack or two recognizing a blitz, but for the most part, Daniel Jones had no shot. He would drop back to pass. He'd run a play-action pass. The minute he would turn around from his play-action fake, he's got pressure in his face. He's trying to avoid a sack. In fact, I thought a quarterback like Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, 10 sacks could have easily been like 15 because there were a lot of times where Daniel Jones would escape a sack and make a play. On a play-action pass where you're faking the handoff to the running back, your back is to the line of scrimmage. Then you turn after the fake to look downfield. You got no shot if there's defenders coming after you. And, uh, man, I I just really can't emphasize enough how bad the offensive line was for the New York Giants. Daniel Jones had no shot so many times, and that's totally unacceptable. You can't expect to have a good day as a quarterback with a disaster of an offensive line. Now, Daniel Jones can't say that. You can't attack your own offensive line. I played quarterback. Like, even when the offensive line is struggling, you're encouraging them. You're trying to lift them up. The last thing you want to do is publicly uh, come after them. But I'll criticize them. I'll do what Daniel Jones can do and say, it's unacceptable. They're not playing very well. And before I'm willing to... I I just, I can only imagine, I love the New York sports market. It's amazing. It's passionate. I would imagine people are like setting Daniel Jones on fire today, just completely attacking him. Before I'm willing to too heavily criticize Daniel Jones, I just feel like I need to see Daniel Jones with a functional offensive line and a good receiver or two. I mean, it really, is that too much to ask for to have like, not a disaster on the offensive line and maybe a good receiver who can make a play outside. Something Daniel Jones really has never had in his career. Um, At this point, I I understand. People are attacking Daniel Jones. There are things he's got to do better. But like I said, it's really hard to grow as a quarterback when you don't even have time to run a play. Like, how are you supposed to know? We saw uh, Sam Howell, for example, in Washington. has made a couple mistakes this year, and he's learning and growing, but he has time to throw. He actually can watch film and go, oh, I need to adjust this and this because he's not on his back immediately after the ball is snapped running for his life. Again, I don't know how you improve and grow as a quarterback if you're running for your life and, and every look is just a disaster. So I just don't feel comfortable coming after Daniel Jones too hard. I just feel bad for him. The offensive line really is that bad. And I'm not, I don't want to be an apologist for Daniel Jones. There are things he has to do better. But I, I just, I don't think he's getting a fair shake at all this year with a horrible offensive line, not a lot of weapons. They got Darren Waller, who has been a non-factor so far this year. He only got three targets, uh, three catches for like 21, 22 yards in this game. 20-something, it was early 20s. It was 21 or 22. I can't remember the exact number. Um, Darren Waller has been kind of a non-factor this year. It's just abysmal what's happening in New York. Their offensive line is horrible. Uh, they're even worse and they don't have their left tackle, Andrew Thomas. And I just feel bad for Daniel Jones. I- I'd love to hear from Giants fans what they think. 
But I, I just don't feel like it's fair. Like, when you look at this Giants football team, there's a lot of problems on that roster. Daniel Jones isn't Patrick Mahomes. He's not even Josh Allen. I mean, he's, he's fine. He's like a top, I don't even know, something quarterback. But I guess the point here is that Daniel Jones is far from the worst problem in New York, and maybe that's a topic we should talk about. What are the changes that need to make uh, and need to happen in New York? But the immediate obvious answer is offensive linemen are, are, are just awful, and you don't have a big, strong receiving threat out wide. Seattle's got three of them. Seattle's got Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Um, Daniel Jones has zero. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can attack Daniel Jones with a clear conscience when you just look at the things he has around him. It just feels totally unfair. And so I don't feel comfortable attacking Daniel Jones or too heavily criticizing him. The Giants are 1-3 and three right now. Their next two games are at Miami, then at Buffalo. That's going to be a 1-5 and five start. I don't see a world where the Giants can challenge either Buffalo or Miami. It's all bad. And uh, the Giants' defense wasn't very good. I like Wink Martindale. I think he's a really interesting defensive coordinator. Tackling was horrible, though. And the defense wasn't great. I mean, Seattle had four backups on their offensive line. And the Giants' defense could not take advantage of that. It's all bad. I, I don't, like I said, if I'm a Giants fan right now, I am, I know Jets fans have had a comically bad year. Four snaps into the year. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, tears his Achilles. They're one and three. Like the Jets have had a bad year. But straight up, I would way rather be a Jets fan than a Giants fan. What's happening in New York with the Giants is abysmal. And uh, it's it's all bad. You got the coach who won coach of the year last year, uh, frustrated and yelling at the quarterback. You've got an offensive line that can't function and do anything. You don't have a really impressive receiving threat. Your defense can't tackle anybody. If I'm a Giants fan right now, I am just feeling miserable about the rest of the year. And I saw a video today. It was a video of, I've never, I haven't watched the Manning cast in a long time. Maybe I should go back to it because I saw a clip of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning reacting to that 97-yard pick six Daniel Jones threw on the goal line. And you can see Eli Manning's soul leave his body. Like, he, his mouth is open, like, and he holds that expression, like, mouth open, just like, uh. For like, and I, I made a sound effect for people listening to the podcast version. He's just like, uh, mouth open for like 20 seconds watching this horrible play unfold. Hands behind his head like, just what? Can't believe it. If you haven't watched it, you should watch that clip. It really is hilarious. And uh, I just feel really, really bad for Giants fans. And I feel bad for Daniel Jones. How do you play quarterback? If, the minute you run a play action fake, you turn around, you got pressure in your face immediately. You got no chance. I just don't think it's fair to... Deeply attacked Daniel Jones. Um, if that was a quarterback who was more talented, if that was if Josh Allen had a had a game where his offensive line played the way that Daniel Jones just did, nobody would blame Josh Allen. If I mean, man, any quarterback who had a more favorable viewing uh, of them nationally had a game like that where the offensive line was that bad, nobody would have the audacity to blame the quarterback. By the way, we saw Josh Allen week one have an abysmal game against the Jets. Multiple interceptions and a fumble. I believe four turnovers in that football game. Even the best have a bad day. I, I don't like that I'm coming across like a Daniel Jones apologist. In fact, I really hate it. But I, I do imagine that um, there's a lot of criticism of Daniel Jones, and I just don't think it's, it's founded in fairness or um, being intellectually honest about what the help he has around him. 
Seattle's three and one. Great win for Seattle. Monday Night Football. Um, you know, your defense scored you a lot of points and put you in a great position to generate points. Uh, short fields often. Seattle's three and one. DK Metcalf really stood out to me. It's funny. I looked at the final stat line. DK Metcalf only had three catches for 34 yards and a touchdown, which to me, watching the game, I'm like, wow, DK's touching the ball a lot. He's involved in blocking. He's playing his butt off. High effort. I love watching DK Metcalf play. I was kind of shocked when I looked at the final stats. I'm like, he only had three catches for 34 yards? It felt like he was involved constantly. So I, I kind of was blown away by that. Um, but I love the way DK Metcalf plays. His ability to use his big frame to box out defenders and go get the football. I hate bad football. And I hate when I'm watching a receiver who doesn't go get the ball. They let the ball come to them. If you're running a stop route, if you're running a slant, if you're running an in-breaking route, if you got a defender in your hip pocket next to you, you got to go get the football. You can't wait till the ball comes to you. You got to beat the defender next to you to the football and go get it. And DK Metcalf, what I love about him, DK Metcalf, uh, Michael Gallup in uh, Dallas with the Giant or with the Cowboys does this really well too. You go get the football on a stop route, on an outbreaking route, on an in-breaking route, whatever. Uh, if you got a defender in your hip pocket right behind you, following you step for step, you got to attack the ball and box out that defender. DK Metcalf does that so well, and as a former quarterback, it makes me so happy. Like, if I'm throwing a ball at DK Metcalf, I know he's going to make every effort to go get the ball and not allow a defender to step in front of that pass and and maybe intercept it or make a play on it and make me look bad as a quarterback. So I just love DK Metcalf. He's a quarterback-friendly receiver who's awesome. Geno Smith got really pissed off in this football game. He got tackled near the sideline. A defender kind of rolled up on him. And uh, Gino had to sit out for a series before halftime. Drew Locke came in, led a touchdown drive. Gino Smith was mad at the Giants. I believe he actually talked about it post-game. I, I didn't follow too closely. I, I read reports like, oh, Gino's still mad. It's like, uh, I just, what's Gino Smith mad at the Giants for? Tackling him, I guess? Like, I, I don't understand. He called it dirty. I don't agree. I think it's pretty wimpy. I'm a former quarterback, and... There are so many rules protecting quarterbacks that I, I your quarterbacks are losing my benefit of the doubt. If you don't want to get hit, you got to slide. You got to get down. You can't expect defenders to not touch you. I mean, it really is kind of shameful the way quarterbacks are so averse to getting hit. Like, dude, what is happening in the NFL? Quarterbacks can't even handle getting touched. Like Geno Smith got hurt. It's not great. But how do you solve that? If you don't want to get touched, slide. Get down. It's not that hard. And you just can't be mad in a game of football about getting tackled. That just seems ridiculous to me. And Geno Smith came across like a pocket princess in my head. I was just like, even as a guy who I usually have the quarterbacks back. I'm like, man, this is just really lame. I don't understand why Geno is so mad about this. And uh, I, in fact, I feel bad for defenders. Playing defense is impossible. No matter what you do, to throw a flag for... Too much contact guarding a receiver. They throw a flag if you hit a quarterback a little too late or as he's throwing. I mean, man, I saw a sack the other day, like a legitimate great sack that got called as a roughing the passer. I was just like, what? What's happening here? I mean, I really, quarterbacks are so protected. Gino, toughen up. You don't want to get tackled. Don't play football. I'm sorry, but that's ridiculous to me. I love Gino. Come on, man. Uh, By the way, Seattle tight end Noah Fant had... A huge football, uh, huge play in this game. A huge catch in this football game. I almost said a huge football play, which would sound so bad grammatically. Um, he was our leading receiver in Seattle. Had two catches, but he had a big 51-yard catch. He ran down to the one-yard line, caught a ball in the flat, made a guy miss, ran for a huge gain. Again, that set up a touchdown for Seattle. 
I have been waiting for Noah Fant to make a play like that since Denver drafted him in the first round out of Iowa in 2019. Finally! I remember being so excited when he was drafted, and I, I hope that we see more of that from Noah Fant because he's capable of great plays. We just haven't seen a lot of that from him, and it's frustrating and disappointing uh, when you watch Seattle. All right, uh, I went back and I watched the Washington-Philly game from NFL Week 4. Philly beat Washington in overtime, 34-31. to It was a really good game. It was close the entire time. Uh, Washington was up by a touchdown going into halftime. Then in the second half, the flip kinda, script kind of got flipped, and they were down by a touchdown trying to keep up with Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, Eagles receiver, both of them actually— A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith had a huge game. Devontae Smith had a huge leaping catch that stood out to me. I was like, ooh. And then uh, A.J. Brown, nine catches, 175 yards, two touchdowns. It was awesome. Uh, However, I don't have a lot to say about Philadelphia. To me, to be honest, the story here is Washington. Um, You know, the offense in Washington really bounced back. After a rough game week three, remember they lost to Buffalo 37 to three during week three and Sam Howell had four interceptions. Their quarterback had a bad day. And the question after that game kind of was, was this just a bad game or is Sam Howell a bad quarterback? He's young. It's early in his career. And uh, I thought he was much better week four on the road at Philly. They, uh, he was 29 for 41 passing at 290 yards passing one touchdown he also ran for 40 yards, had zero turnovers, which you really love. Against a really good Eagles defense to have no turnovers and put a lot of points on the board, that's a really, really great day. And uh, he led two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to keep up with Philadelphia. Every time Washington needed a touchdown in the fourth quarter, Sam Howell put together a drive and made it happen. And I thought Sam Howell, again, against a really good Eagles defense, really challenged that defense and Made a lot of good plays. Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, who's new to Washington and kind of trying to prove himself without being in the shadow of Andy Reid, he called a great game. And uh, Sam Howell is still learning. There are little things Sam Howell can do better. Um, people have no idea how difficult it is to play quarterback. It's so, so hard when you, you're you thinking about a lot of things. Pre-snap, who's blitzing? Where are my safeties? Do I have the right protection? And you can call everything right, but then the defense can sneak in a delayed blitz where you snap the ball and you got to be aware of, the minute you snap the ball, there are so many things you have to be aware of. Are there guys blitzing? Where are the safeties? Is the coverage what I thought it was? If they do blitz, do I have a hot route, which you have to pre- plan pre-snap? Where's my hot route going? There, the, Clearly, there are little things that Sam Howell's still working on. I think he could do better at recognizing blitzes after he snaps the ball post-snap. You know, you snap it, they're not showing, but then that guy comes off the edge. you got to recognize that. That's ho- tough to do. A lot of quarterbacks really struggle with that. That's the thing he's working on. Uh, situational football is a thing Sam Howell is still figuring out. Little things like where, end of the game, it's first and goal, five seconds left. Washington has no timeouts, and Sam Howell threw a ball short of the end zone, was very lucky it wasn't caught, because if that gets caught with, you know, two seconds left on the clock, then the clock would have just run out. They would have lost the game by seven points. It would have been nothing. So um, you can't throw that ball on the goal line, first and goal, five seconds left, no timeouts. You got to throw the ball to the end zone or out of bounds. And luckily there was still time on the clock for one final play on that final play. He threw a touchdown pass, uh, that tied the game led to overtime. I thought the best moment of the entire game for Washington's offense, Eric B enemy, uh, Sam Howell, everyone there, they got the ball down seven with a minute 43 left. And I just talked about it. They drove down the field in a two minute drill 
to tie the game and force overtime. However, there was a baffling decision in this football game that I, I remember watching going, oh, like, I, I, I knew the game ended in overtime 34-31. to 31. I didn't know how it went down. And when I watched the game back, you find out that Washington scores a touchdown on the very last play of regulation to make it a one-point game. And I thought they might go for two, right? E- even though I knew what happened. I'm like, I-, I would probably go for two in this scenario. You are playing a really good Eagles team. You got them in an opportunity to put the game away right here in the fourth quarter. You go for two, you win by one, game over. Instead of that, Ron Rivera, the Washington head coach, chose to kick an extra point and go to overtime against a really, really good Philadelphia Eagles team that's 3-0. and It didn't work. They went to overtime and... Washington actually got the ball first. They went three and out. They had to punt the ball away. They had a third and five throw that was nearly a completion to Terry McLaurin, where he made a great catch along the sideline, had like a toe out of bounds. It was really close, though. They reviewed it. It just it wasn't. I looked really close, but out of bounds and uh, by like the smallest margin, by the way. But because that was ruled out of bounds, it was tough. You had to punt the ball away. And uh, the Eagles got the ball, drove down, kicked a field goal, won the game. You know, I thought that's a situation where Ron Rivera, who's literally, people call him Riverboat Ron, you go for it there. He didn't. In fact, he, instead of having the game in his control, he left the game uh, go to overtime. And that's just a mistake to me. And I'm starting to really question the value of commander's head coach Ron Rivera. I I don't hate the guy, um, but he didn't go for two at the end of the game. They lost anyway. He's also a defensive head coach. And if you're a defensive head coach, your defense has to be good. I don't care what happens on offense. You at least have to. The thing you hang your hat on is your defense. Your defense has to be good. Washington's defense is bottom five in points allowed. They're actually the fourth worst team. So only four teams have given up more points than Washington. Only three, actually. Denver, Chicago, and the Giants. Three horrible football teams. And then the the team that's given up the fourth most points in the NFL is Washington. What? Hey, um, I don't understand how you've got a defensive head coach and you have got a terrible defense. That's not good. By the way, Chicago is a similar situation. Like, that's the thing you hang your hat on. If your defense isn't good, what are you bringing to the table? Also, your in-game decision-making. That go for two at the end of the game. It's frustrating to me. And I have watched three of the four Washington Commanders games. I'm not impressed with our defensive line. And in fact, I want to invite, I want to hear from Washington fans. How do you feel about your defensive line in Washington? Because their defensive line has four first round picks. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen. Now, from what I've seen, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are playing very well inside at defensive tackle. But the defensive ends, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, have been disappointing. And... I worry this group, this supposedly legendary defensive line in Washington, I think they're kind of overrated. I'd love to hear from Washington fans. Am I out of pocket? Is that crazy? Because what I've seen so far this year, they're not able to generate pressure with a four-man rush. Chase Young isn't playing great. Um, He's not a bust. He's a starter, but he's kind of in Jadavian Clowney territory where he's like, yeah, he's fine. Not really getting what we need from him. He's got a lot of help around him. I'd love to hear what Washington fans think about their defensive line. I keep hearing, and I've even myself said, oh, that's a great defensive line. I'm not seeing it. I, you know, I, we'll see. It's early. We're four games in, but 
I'm starting to worry that the defensive line in Washington is a bit overrated. Now, uh, Washington's offense is doing good stuff. I really like what's going on there. The defense is giving up 30 points per game. That's not good enough. That's a problem. That's very bad, in case you don't know that. Um, I find it really fascinating. On Thursday Night Football this week, by the way, if you're watching that game on Amazon Prime, watch it on Prime Vision, the All-22 version, where you can see all the players on the field and the coverages, who's blitzing. You can hear what I'm talking about when I say pre-snap. you got to be aware who's coming off the edge and the post-snap who might blitz late. Um, Washington plays Chicago on Thursday Night Football. That's a very interesting football game. Two young quarterbacks. Justin Fields coming off a great game where they lost. You know, Chicago's winless. Washington's 2-2. Two and 3-2 two. and two would be pretty solid for them. Uh, on paper, Washington's been a better team against an abysmal 0-4 Chicago Bears team. I actually, for a game that I've seen people say online, like, it's going to be another garbage Thursday night game. I'm actually really interested. I think it's actually going to be fascinating. Two quarterbacks. My roommate's a Bears fan. I can, you know, turn it on for her so she can watch on Amazon Prime. She loves, it's very rare to get a Bears game that's nationally broadcast that she can watch. Uh, the last one that happened was Bears and Chiefs. And that game was such a blowout. They literally took it off the international presence and put another game on because it was such a blowout. I'm really fascinated in this Washington Bears game on Thursday night. It's fun. It's interesting. It's two horrible defenses that are both bottom five and giving up the most amount of points. Two defensive head coaches, Ron Rivera and Matt Eberflus, who've got a lot to prove, in my opinion. I think Washington, Chicago, Thursday Night Football is an amazing game, and uh, I am fascinated and excited. Philly, by the way, the Eagles are 4-0. This is a great overtime win for them. They got challenged by Washington. They still found a way to win. That's what really good teams do. You face adversity, and you pull it out. And uh, I thought all around it was a great win by Philly. There are only two teams in the entire NFL that are 4-0. Washington, the, the sorry, Washington. Uh, the Eagles, did I say Washington earlier? If I meant, if I said that wrong at all, I meant Washington. I almost did it again. The Eagles are 4-0. Jesus Christ, Zach, learn how to talk. <laughs> um, Philly's 4-0. And only two teams in the NFL are 4-0. The Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. I am, I'm impressed, man. I really think, I, I talked about Seattle earlier. There's a stretch where Seattle plays Philly, the 49ers twice, and the Dallas Cowboys all within a four-week span. That's <laughs> that's the cream of the crop in the NFC, in my opinion. And uh, Philly went to the Super Bowl last year. There's no reason to right now believe they can't do it again. And uh, I, I am... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I don't know when. I kind of want to look it up. Let's look at Philly's schedule. Does Philly play the Eagles this year? I think they do. Does Philly play the Eagles? Does Philly play the Philadelphia Eagles schedule? When do they play the 49ers this year, if at all? Definitely they'll play them in the playoffs. I don't. I want to find out. I can't remember. Is there a regular season matchup? 
against the 49ers because that would be absolutely incredible um, between what I think are the two best teams in the NFC. They do. Week 13 in Philadelphia. The 49ers come to town to play the Philadelphia Eagles. That could be a preliminary game uh, that we're going to see a rematch of in the NFC title game to get into the Super Bowl. That feels incredible right now. And uh, I don't know who would win. I mean, I really, both teams have so many playmakers everywhere. And uh, week 13, something to look forward to. 49ers on the road at Philly. That's going to be incredible. And uh, oh man, I'm really excited for that one. All right. Um, My hair is is driving. No matter what I do, this hair just, I see, I really want to grow it out and get it to where I can put it back and make it cool. But right now we're in this middle in between phase where no matter what I do, I just look like, I don't know, Screech McFarland. I want to go for like the surfer vibe where I can put it back, but it's not quite long enough to do that yet. I don't know. I'm just a guy. I'm an idiot with long hair who doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, I want to share a quote. I want to share a quote. This is Jets quarterback Zach Wilson after the loss on Sunday Night Football 23-20 to to Kansas City. Remember, he had a fumble with seven minutes and 24 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, that led to a possession by Kansas City where the Jets defense could not stop Patrick Mahomes. They had multiple opportunities, third and 22, third and 20, third and eight. They couldn't get off the field. Kansas City was allowed to run out the clock and win the game. And uh, here's a little compilation of, after that game on Sunday night, Zach Wilson taking accountability for the loss. I need to be better on the little things, the details. It's not on the defense. It's on me. We had the ball with six minutes, five minutes, whatever it was left. And we're at midfield and, you know, we had a chance right there. So I need to be better. I still need to be better for him as well. You know, there's, there's plays I, I screwed up on that I would want back. And I think we need to keep growing on this and continue to build that trust together. That's a different Zach Wilson. That's a Zach Wilson who is growing as a leader and saying things we didn't hear him say last year. There was a very similar loss last year where Zach Wilson did not take accountability for what happened. And to me, we're seeing Zach Wilson, his face looks more mature. His, the things he's saying are more mature. He's growing up in front of a national audience, quite frankly. And uh, here is what Zach Wilson said about the fumbled snap with seven minutes and 24 seconds left in the game. I, I knew we had a free guy on my left. And again, stemming from my fault. You know, we had a small on the edge. We talked about the look. I should have made the protection adjustment there to protect myself. But I knew the guy on the left was going to make me hot. So I was trying to drift out of the pocket um, to give myself a little room to throw it. But... You know, we went over that look. Coaches did a good job preparing me for that. If I make the right call, we block it up just fine and and uh, able to play the play. Number one, that's extreme ownership. And number two, he knows exactly what he needs to do differently next time. That's great. I, to hear him articulate, here's what went wrong. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I need to do better next time. I love that. Now, listen to this clip. Here's another example of him doing a similar thing. You know, I would say... You know, we need to keep building on this, but I need to be better with the details. You know, I can think of multiple plays I need to be better on. You know, early in the game, I threw that one low to Conklin. That should have been a touchdown, not ending in a field goal. I mean, it's the little things that win games, and if you want to be great, you got to have those, and I need to be better on those. Again, Zach Wilson, he's maturing. He knows what he needs to work on. You love to hear that. I just, I'm really rooting for Zach Wilson, man. I think that um, it's amazing what happens when Zach Wilson gives me a little bit of hope. I'm like, oh. 
because I see the talent and I like him as a person. He comes across as like a good guy who loves the game and works hard. And I know some people who knew him at BYU and they, the way they talked about Zach Wilson was the, the word was obsession. They just said, this guy eats, sleeps and breathes football. It's all he cares about. I, I'm rooting for Zach Wilson so hard. I, I know it's kind of a joke on this show. Zach, stay together. Zach Taylor, Zach Wilson. Um, <laughs> but man, I, I'm really, really rooting for Zach Wilson. I want to see him do well. Now, this is Jets head coach Robert Sala talking after that same game, that loss to Kansas City. Here's what he said talking about Zach Wilson, the young quarterback in New York. I know it's. I, I know I say it all the time up here with his practice and how he how he practices. He's he's been practicing outstanding, and uh, just probably why I get up here and I say what I say. But uh, I, I was just really happy for him to to go out and show that he does belong, that he can play in this league. And like I said, if he plays that way, we're going to win a lot of football games. After the Aaron Rodgers injury, the Jets have not wavered once on their support of Zach Wilson. They have always come across like they believed in him and. Remember, he's also learning a new offense. He's learning the system from Nathaniel Hackett, who came over from, he was once in Green Bay. Last year was head coach in Denver. That went horribly. Now he's a new offensive coordinator in New York with the Jets. So Zach Wilson's learning a new system and a new new offense. And I kind of wonder, after last year, it wasn't great. But I do I do wonder if Aaron Rodgers hadn't made it publicly very clear that he wanted to go to the Jets might the Jets have stuck with Zach Wilson? I, I really wonder that. Um, it comes across like the Jets really love Zach Wilson. Listen to, I don't have a clip of it, but I, I encourage you, go listen to, like, go watch Hard Knocks. The way that Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive coordinator, interacts with Zach Wilson, he likes him, he's rooting for him, and he wants to see Zach Wilson do well, even when they don't expect him to be their starting quarterback. Remember, during Hard Knocks, all the focus is on Aaron and how Aaron Rodgers is going to be their franchise quarterback this year. And still... Jeff Ulbrich is emotionally invested in helping Zach and encouraging him and wanting him to do well during the preseason. They like him. And Sunday night against Kansas City gave me hope for the first time in a long time watching Zach Wilson dialing up back shoulder balls, pulling trigger on really good throws, a back shoulder throw down the seam to Tyler Conklin and extending plays using his legs. I mean, it gave me hope that the old plan, which was Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback in New York. And once he retires, he can pass the torch to Zach Wilson. There was a bit of a hiccup. Remember, Aaron Rodgers, everyone knows, tore his Achilles four plays into the year. But Zach Wilson is growing and learning. And I don't think anyone's going to object when next year or maybe we're even seeing potentially at the end of this year. Who knows? Because Aaron Rodgers is using, man, I, I don't even know. I would imagine like stem cells, also hyperbaric chamber, which I like... One thing I like about Aaron, he's very open to trying new ideas to recover. And people are saying he's recovering from his Achilles in ways that, you know, the way he's moving around even pregame against uh, the Chiefs on Sunday night. People are like, that's not supposed to happen like four weeks after a torn Achilles. So maybe Aaron does come back this year. Either way, I think the plan can still be that once Aaron is healthy, he's a Jets quarterback. No one's going to object to that. Zach Wilson's like, yeah, it makes sense. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I look up to him. He's the older brother in this scenario. But it... Like I said, watching Zach Wilson play well and give me hope made me feel like, hey, maybe the old plan of eventually Aaron still passing the torch back to Zach Wilson after, key important detail, after Zach Wilson learns a lot from being around and watching and talking to Aaron Rodgers, maybe that could still work. The the passing of the torch down to Zach Wilson. Now, 
This is Robert Sala talking about the impact of having Aaron Rodgers around. It was outstanding, you know, to have him back and to, to talk to the team. Um, you know, his teammates love him. Uh, we love him. He loves his teammates. And, uh, you know, just, just glad he's back around the building. You know, he's a, uh, I've told you guys, he's an unbelievable human. He really is. And just his presence, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it's like a family of them. It's like a big brother just walked back in for those, for those guys in the locker room. So I think... Uh, I have really become a fan of Aaron Rodgers in the last couple of years as he shared more of his personality. We saw him, man, going on podcasts, uh, really big ones, getting to hear him in his perspective, uh, kind of getting to know the person Aaron. I like Aaron. Uh, it's cool to hear that Robert Sala, they refer to him as older brother, like their big brother in the scenario. And he's a mentor for everyone, especially Zach Wilson. I really, really love that. And uh, I just think that Aaron, I was kind of worried when he tore his Achilles at first, like, is he going to be around the Jets at all this year? He might just retire and walk away. I think Aaron is an incredible asset to have around. His leadership, his knowledge of the game, his calm demeanor. Um, a lot of people are talking about, I got a lot of messages like, you know, part of why Zach Wilson did well is because Aaron Rodgers is in the building and he wants to perform for uh, his, one of his mentors. Maybe that's true. Um, I, I just, I think what can't be quantified enough is the impact he can have just by being around, being coach Aaron encouraging people, giving advice here and there, um, being Coach Aaron. I mean, it really does make sense. Now, he was watching from the press box in this football game. At some point when he's mobile enough, I think he will be on the sideline for games. But I just really, I, I really, really like Aaron. I think he is so underrated as a human. Robert Sala literally calls him an amazing person. I think that's true. I just get the sense that he's really open-minded and really kind and loves his teammates and... um I'm enjoying, even though he's not playing, this chapter of Aaron Rodgers in New York, um, really getting to flex his muscles as a leader and as an encourager and being involved in making the Jets a better organization top to bottom. Now, one thing I really, really wanted to hear from Robert Sala after this game, the reason why I sought out the post-game press conference from Robert Sala was I wanted to hear him talk about some of the calls the refs made after the game. Here is what Robert Sala said about some of the calls made against the Jets on Sunday Night Football. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm going to stay quiet. Man, I, I was so hoping. I He said, I've got a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm going to stay quiet. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm going to stay quiet. Man, I, I was so hoping for a great quotable moment there. And uh, that's the right answer, by the way. It's disappointing, but that is the right answer to just say, I'm not going to go there. Uh, you saw him on the sideline if you watch Sunday Night Football furious and yelling and really angry. And, uh, you know, I, classy good moment from Robert Sala. As a fan who likes drama, that's disappointing. Um, I will say, I feel oddly hopeful about the Jets' future. Like, it, I really do. Their defense is playing well. They've got good young players on offense. Uh, Aaron Rodgers seems like he's going to come back at some point and play for the Jets. And it's just amazing. This is what happens when Zach Wilson plays well. It really is the cascading effect of hope throughout the entire organization. When Zach Wilson, the guy they drafted in the first round, who even after Aaron is still hopefully going to be their franchise quarterback, when he plays well, the energy around the entire Jets organization is different. The city, everything. Me, I, I'm like, suddenly I'm like, oh, after like giving up on Zach Wilson like two weeks ago, I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe this could work. But I... I am adaptable. I try to change my mind when players can earn my respect. And Zach Wilson played so well on Sunday Night Football that if he can build off of this and do better in the future and keep growing as the year goes on, 
he's going to stay in the NFL. And not only stay in the NFL, he might eventually, again, after Aaron is done, be the Jets franchise quarterback again. And, man, as a guy who is rooting for Zach and wants to see him do well, Zach stick together, um, I'm I'm just really happy to see the guy do well on Sunday. All right, we're going to end the show with three questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. Uh, But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, I do not guarantee to read your questions on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. On top of that, if you like Discord, uh, we've got a really fun community on Discord. If you're at the $5 tier or higher on Patreon, you get access to the, pa- the Strong Opinion Sports Discord. It's fun. We share memes. We, um, we're we still growing. I think we're kind of all learning about this together, but I'm enjoying watching games and on a Sunday popping in. And um, I wasn't very present this Sunday. I was so busy, but I really like... Um, it's fun too. like on Thursday Night Football when I watch that game... Uh, I'll be in Discord the entire day and just kind of we can watch the game together, share comments, share memes, laugh about stuff. I like that a lot. And so if you want to join the Strong Opinion Sports Discord, uh, it's a $5 tier on Patreon. Adam writes in today. Adam says, hey, Zach, annoying Falcons fan here. Oh, (laughs) he says annoyed Falcons fan. Adam, you're not annoying. I love you. Hey, Zach, annoyed Falcons fan here. Regardless of the Falcons win today. He says regardless of the Falcons win, didn't the Falcons just get obliterated on Sunday? I don't know if that matters. Uh, he says of is, so I, I don't even know if, regardless. He says, I really think it would be in the best interest of the team just to fire Arthur Smith. I thought his hiring three three years ago was a huge mistake, and he has done nothing to prove me wrong so far. I don't, I know Desmond Ritter so far has been a limiting factor of their quarterback, and I know you've mentioned that the Falcons should draft Spencer Rattler if they get the chance next year. My question to you is, do you really think Arthur Smith could properly develop a quarterback like Spencer Rattler? I get that Arthur Smith so far hasn't had the best quarterbacks uh, in at the end of his career, a Matt Ryan, who is, again, at the end of his career, Marcus Mariota, but I just can't help but think so, no matter the quarterback that comes in, Arthur Smith will just waste them because of his run-heavy mantra. Maybe I'm just hitting the panic button for no reason, though. What do you think? I think, I think your your grammaticism there was a bit tough to read, first of all. <laughs> Sorry. I love you, though. Um, it's worth a conversation, right? Is Arthur Smith really the guy long-term who's going to help the Falcons win? And what's their goal there? Do the Falcons want to win a Super Bowl? I mean, like, I'm sure everyone wants to, but are they really trying to? The great quarterbacks that—here's what I'm saying. When has Arthur Smith made a quarterback look really good and really elevated them? We had Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota, now Ritter. It's a quarterback-driven league. It's a passing league. You throw the football in the NFL. Quarterbacks are how you're going to win, not running backs. And uh, quarterbacks are what you can build your franchise around, not running backs. And so the philosophy of Arthur Smith reflects the olden days, the 90s, the 80s, when you had a central running back who you built your entire franchise around. Yeah, I don't love it. I don't think that's a, a wise move. Um, maybe it works because you can pay your quarterback next to nothing because you're not asking him to do very much. And financially, you can build a great team. I, I have no idea. I, I just can't imagine that 
I, I've never, ever seen Arthur Smith have a great offense and have a quarterback playing at a high level. And to me, that's completely backwards in the NFL. You you have to have, it's a quarterback-driven league. You want a coach that makes quarterbacks better. If you can, if anything, you could actually argue Arthur Smith makes quarterbacks worse. And so, I don't know. I didn't love the hiring either. They hired him from Tennessee. I was like, what has Tennessee's offense done to make them want to give their offensive coordinator a head coaching job. So yeah, Adam, I, I think you're not totally off base. I mean, the conversation about should we even keep, you know, is it, does our quarterback really matter if we still have Arthur Smith as our head coach? Um, you're asking the right question. And to me, I have no problem if they want to move on from Arthur Smith after this year. Um, I just, that philosophy running the football, um, don't trust your quarterback. <laughs> like these, these really, really bland schemes when it comes to throwing the football that doesn't work for me I, it doesn't excite me at all i'm interested because their offense has so many unique possibilities but um it's not going great in atlanta gabe wrote in gabe running kind of a victory lap i love you gabe gabe says what did i tell you zach 11 sacks how's that for a week seahawks pass rush by the way seattle had 10 sacks from what i count so um, you can do the math if you want. You say 11, I say 10. Either way, it's a great performance by their pass rush. Gabe says, it was fun to see Jamal Adams play for all of nine snaps, but in all seriousness, yeah. Remember, Jamal Adams got kneed in the head, had to leave with concussion protocol, was not happy about leaving the game, worked really hard to get back. It was like 385 days between games for Jamal Adams playing. Then like the beginning of the game, Daniel Jones, his knee runs into the helmet of Jamal Adams and Jamal Adams is knocked out of the game. Either way, Gabe continues and says, I hope we get him back, but man, Devin Witherspoon really stole the show on tonight's Monday Night Football game. Two sacks, a pick six, that 97-yard pick six, um, and a bunch of big hits for the rookie corner. He is absolutely a superstar in the making, and he is going to help the Seattle Seahawks make a title run like I was talking about. Remember he once said, is Seattle a Super Bowl contender? My question for you is, what did you think of that Seattle pass rush? I know it was against a weak Giants offensive line, but again, Seattle was out four of their five starters in the offensive line. You could really say five out of five because our starting center had to move to left guard because of the injuries, and we still kept Geno upright. But I personally think our defensive line is coming together more so than what people are giving us credit for. Are you convinced yet? No! No! Gabe, I love you, man. I really do. You're, you're celebrating after beating up on a abysmal Giants team, okay? Like, if, if uh, literally almost any other team, if the Seattle Seahawks had 10 sacks, I'd go, man, okay, maybe they're making progress. The Giants is like the one team all year, all we've seen is their quarterback, Daniel Jones, getting treated like a, a hack a sack or a ragdoll, getting kicked around and rubbed in the dirt a little bit. Like, dude, you, I love you, man. You can't, you can't say that destroying the Giants' offensive line suddenly makes your, your defensive line legitimate. Like, okay, come on, man, really? They got some good games coming up. They play, you know, they play Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore. Those are games that are a good opportunity to show what you can do. Um, Arizona's another one that's compelling. Like, there are opportunities up ahead for the Seattle defensive line to prove what they can do. And for Seattle to show they're a contender. And I like Seattle. They've got good stuff going on. Uh, they're they're clearly um, not defined by their week one loss, 30 to 13 to the Rams, where the Rams young guys were better than the Seahawks young guys. But you can't celebrate after beating the Giants. It's the same team that got beat 40 to nothing by the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it's just, come on, man. Um, 
I'm I'm really excited as I look at Seattle's schedule. Week 12, they play the 49ers in Seattle. Week 13, they play at Dallas. Week 14, they play at the 49ers again. So the 49ers in three weeks, twice. And then week 15, they play Philly. So in a four-game stretch, they play the 49ers twice, Dallas, and Philly. Those are the best, most dominant defensive lines in all of football. Against a cobbled-together offensive line, a defensive line that has shown me nothing. Those are the games I cannot wait for. 49ers twice. 49ers, by the way, play week 13 at Philly and then Seattle twice in that, in that you know, week 12, 13, 14 stretch. But if Seattle wants to show me they're a contender, in this four-game stretch, they got to play well. And I don't think they're going to. That's a brutal stretch. 49ers at Dallas, 49ers again, then Philly. We're going to learn a lot from them in those games. Um, still, Seattle, they're doing good. They're 3-1. and one. Life's good, good for them. Uh, I'm curious how they handle the Browns' defense coming up, the Bengals, Arizona's playing really well. Uh, they're not winning a lot, but Arizona does look competent. They're a well-coached football team. Um, they play the Bengals is going to be interesting, man. Uh, so I'm I'm still in a wait-and-see mode with Seattle. I'm hopeful, though. And, and their young guys, Devin Witherspoon, man, rookie corner, playing great. You love to see it. But no, I'm not sold on the, the Seattle Seahawks pass rush yet at all. You can't, again, you can't beat a baby in a race and then brag about how you're really fast. You can't have a bike and lose a, you know, if you, if you're on a motorcycle and you beat an actual bicycle in a race, it's like, yeah, great. You had better equipment. The person against you was handicapped. That doesn't make any sense. You can't brag about beating a handicapped, horrible giants offensive line. It just, that doesn't really move the needle for me. Um, it's like, you know, it's like beating your little brother in Madden 49 to zero. It's like, what do you expect? Your brother's seven years old. Of course, he's going to be terrible at Madden. You know, I, I just, you can't brag to me after beating the Giants. I just don't, uh, I won't stand for that. But I love you, Gabe. And um, I'm as hopeful as you are. I'm from the Northwest. All my friends are Seahawks fans. I uh, I would like seeing Geno Smith and the Seahawks playing great and uh, being title contenders. And I think they're on their way. I mean, the, the Seahawks have so many young players that are playing really well. And, uh, we even saw a little bit of Drew Locke. Drew Locke played in this football game on Monday night, let a touchdown drive. He was awesome. Maybe when Gino's done, you pass a torch to Drew Locke. I have no idea. I loved the moment with Pete Carroll, you know, giving confidence to Drew Locke, patting him on the chest and pumping him up before he went into the game, giving him a little fist bump. I love that. I love what's going on in Seattle. I want to be very clear, Gabe. I believe in where they're headed. But am I convinced in the Seahawks defensive line after a game destroying the Giants? No. Absolutely not. Final question of the day. It's kind of a bummer. So if you want to not be depressed, um, maybe turn it off. Hey, Sack Zomler. I hate that so much. You have no idea. Sack Zomler is a terrible name. I think I got it. No, you didn't. That's a terrible one. I love you. Joe, do better. <laughs> Joe says, I'm going for a stroll today under the influence of some jazz cabbage. By the way, jazz cabbage is my new favorite slang. I'm going to use that all the time. Devil's lettuce is too obvious. It's not cool. Jazz cabbage. That's a great one. Um, I was on jazz cabbage and I ran into a homeless lady that waved at me and I smiled and waved back. We had a small conversation that ended in her saying I had a warm smile and I genuinely wished her well. All of this is leading to the question of what kinds of interactions did you have with homeless people on your travels? Remember I lived out of my truck, did a big road trip. Um, what kinds of small things did you do or do you do? to add a little warmth to the world on a daily basis. 
The Chargers won this week, so this write-in doesn't involve a threat to Brandon Staley's life. <laughs> Just want to see what you do and make the spinning ball of dirt a better place to live on. Love you, and as always, wishing you and everyone that reads this the best. Joe, I'm at an all-time low when it comes to my belief in humanity, my belief in America as we're going as a country. Um, I'm trying to take care of me and mine. Um, it's discouraging out there, though. It really is. So I, the way I try to make people feel better and encourage people, um, be kind, be nice. Being nice costs you nothing. Maybe a little bit of emotional energy, but I, I don't have money to donate to big charities. Or I mean, if I, if I was like a billionaire, I would be creating ways for people to get loans without an interest rate. I'd be like, I'm going to give you a house loan with me making any money off of it. I'm not here to make money. I'm here to help people buy a house. I'd love to do that, that kind of thing. Like having a program that gives people not low interest, but no interest home loans. That would be incredible, right? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That, that kind of idea, if I'm a billionaire, I'd be finding ways to help other people left and right. It drives me nuts that people aren't doing that. But also, I, I think that, uh, look at Logan Paul. Does Logan Paul care about anybody else? Logan Paul's not even a billionaire. But Logan Paul is constantly finding ways to step on other people and push them down. So is Stephen A. Smith, by the way. Have you ever seen how Stephen A. Smith treated his former colleague, the guy Max Kellerman, who worked with him? Throwing him under the bus constantly, talking a lot of trash. I think people that have the morals that are willing to step on other people and therefore become incredibly successful would never want to look back and see how they can help other people. And that's a disappointing part about this world. Um, homeless people are people. And here's the most important thing you can hear me say about a homeless person. I'm not going to give you some random spiel, but so many Americans live paycheck to paycheck, myself included. And we're only a few bad things happening from being homeless ourselves. I mean, really think about it, how your life is going. If they fired you and you couldn't get a new job, how quickly would it be until you couldn't pay your rent and would have to make some kind of change, maybe live in your car? I just, I've met so many homeless people. I've done it myself. I drove around the country in my truck. Um, I went to a lot of, I mean, every, when you're homeless and living in a truck, like you have to sleep in, the, everyone ends up kind of sleeping in a similar area because not everywhere is very welcoming to that. Um, I see so much suffering and it makes me really concerned. Um, some homeless people are strung out on drugs. I ran into that for sure. The majority of homeless people I ran into were people who had a bad thing happen and weren't sure how to recover from it, bounced back, and were living in their vehicle or on the streets. That's worse. Usually people have a car and that's – it's the I, if you're like straight up sleeping on a sidewalk, things are really bad because not only are you uh, – you don't have a vehicle or another place to sleep, but also you don't have anyone in your life who can help you. So you must have ostracized a lot of people that could help you. But the people in the vehicle living in their car, that's the one I really have a lot of empathy for because those are people who are trying usually. And man, oh man, um, it goes back to it costs you nothing to be kind. I had a, a write-in this week. I don't know if I'll ever read it on the show. It's a guy asking me why I hate Portland. 
I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I've watched that city change so much and gets ruled by homeless people. It's, it's a shame. It's a crying shame what's happened in the city of Portland, uh, a city I grew up in and once called home. And uh, I've watched that city get ru- ruined by bad leadership uh, there. I'm not really a person who loves the idea of homeless people taking over a city and running it. Not at all. But it's a nuanced conversation. And the homeless people I've met um, would offer me food. We're all in this together. It was a great mentality. I was in Arizona um, in a a community of people that were all living in the desert together. And I I stopped by. I said hi. They were really nice to me. This woman who had nothing was like, do you want some soup? Like she was making ramen and was like, do you want some of this? And um, when someone who has nothing is still willing to help you and give you something, that's crazy to me. Um, it's, it's radical, um, God, this sounds so nerdy, but like radical love and radical care for other humans. And, uh, I just think it's sad. We so quickly dehumanize people who are going through a hard time because remember, like I said, so many people are living paycheck to paycheck and only a couple bad things can happen to get you in the same position there and fighting their tails off to make their lives better and, and survive. I think the majority of Americans in a house, homeless or not, are all in survival mode. And uh, I wish we had more empathy as a society. Sorry for my political rant. I don't mean to be political. I, I just, uh, I don't know if that entirely was. I just, I love people. I hate when people are rude and mean and uncaring. And uh, there's so much of that going on out there. It just makes me sad. Uh, so, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm going to take off. Um, I don't think I would have lost any followers for that conversation. If anything, the most offensive thing I've done this episode is have my hair parted in the middle. <laughs> Too much forehead. Ah! Can I fix that? I mean, there's nothing There's nothing to do here, right? It's just a It's a curly mess. I have no idea. I wanted it out of my face. I've been really sick of the... Oh, that's a, that's a terrible look. I've been really tired of it coming down in my face, literally. Yeah, I, don't, I don't love this now. This is... Uh, it's getting worse, not better. But regardless... Um, I love you so much. I appreciate you. I'll see you tomorrow. We're doing a fantasy football episode. Uh, Jake, who I played against in fantasy, is coming on the show. That'll be really fun. I have no idea what to expect from that. I'm just going to sit down and talk to him and have a good time. Um, How long have we gone for? Damn it! (laughs) It's been an hour. How? Not a short episode. Again! I don't know how I do this every time. Love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.